Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of Career Changing in Your 20s. This is the podcast where we talk about the ups and downs of career changing. We hear different perspectives of people's careers and journeys. And we also bring on guests like today. We have Grace and do exposés on the different types of careers that they do, side hustles that they're doing. So Grace is here with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to do my first ever in-person podcast post the coronavirus. Yeah, this is great. We're here together in person in California. Uh, so Grace is a product UX designer at Electronic Arts or EA. She designs products for content creators and events. And she is also the founder and leader of Design Buddies. This is an online design community housed in Discord that she started herself and it has over 50,000 members right now. Lastly, she also on the side draws and creates content on design, career development, and she also has lifestyle videos across TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. So today we're going to talk first about how Grace got into product and UX design, and then we'll dive deeper into this now pretty large side project of yours called Design Buddies how she started that, what was her motivation, what were lessons learned that she had in scaling that community. And then we'll also talk in general about life and how she manages producing content while also having a full-time job and where she sees herself in the future. So to start off first, can you tell us a little bit, since our audience is pretty broad, help us understand what exactly do you do in product UX or user experience design, if that's what it stands for, right? Yeah, UX does stand for user experience design. And people also use the, use the term product design pretty interchangeably in terms of describing the career I do. But basically, the end product of what I work on is designing experience for users. And this looks like Figma mockups walking the user through a flow. So imagine you're using a website or a mobile app or a game. UX designers design the start of your interactions towards the end of your interactions with that. So that's what I do here at EA. Okay, that's cool. And maybe you can help us understand for UX design, what exactly are you responsible for in the development of a product or a feature? And how do you interact with product managers, with software engineers, marketing, or other functions? Like put us in that collaboration world and explain kind of how that magic is done. Yeah, for UX design, a big misconception is that, is that it's just only visual, but there's a lot that goes into deciding what goes on the end Figma mockup that gets handed off to developers. As a UX designer, I have to work with researchers to understand what user needs, what user problems am I trying to solve with my design, and with my product manager to figure out how this product will earn money or help people save time. And also with engineers and engineering leads, how my design will fit in the overall technical feasibility of the product. So I work really closely with product managers, researchers, other designers for feedback, engineers, business partners, marketing teams to figure that out and help input that into my output, which is the Figma mockups. And Figma is just a platform that you use to make a drawing of some sort. Yeah. Making, what, what is that capable of? Or like a wireframe, people call it, and, and, and then you give that off to the engineers and they code that. Yeah, true. Figma, I usually make all my sketches. Usually I use my, I use my iPad for sketches. Right? So how product goes from idea to actual implementation is I usually have a kickoff meeting with my product manager and design team and researchers. Typically, we'll start with the PRD, which stands for product requirement document. We talk about what business cases um, and what user needs are we trying to solve with it. And it's a whole process of ideation. So usually in the ideation portion, we generate how might we statements, how might we use different approaches to solving the problem with our product. Uh, we usually try to involve 
all our cross-functional partners. So it's usually like a workshop with like research, product, design, engineering, business partners, just to make sure everyone has early buy-in and making sure that we are correctly solving the problem, helping everyone have a sense of ownership in the complete product. And after that, we take the outcomes of that workshop, uh, make some architecture diagrams or information architecture based on how we think the experience would look like from a very high level. Like for example, you're on a website, you're on the homepage, where do you want to go to next? And making sure that we have all of the use cases covered. After the whole flowchart or architecture diagram we have down, I start doing some sketches on how the user interface would look like. The reason why I really like sketches is it helps me get down my ideas really, really quickly. And then after doing a series of design reviews for my sketches, I go and wireframe in Figma and then do another series of iterations, design reviews. I really try to explore a lot of different approaches to how the design would look like and different approaches to solving the problem. After that, I go into higher fidelity in Figma. And then after more reviews, I make a prototype in Figma and then outline my specs and hand it off to engineering to have that implemented. It's always never linear. Um, sometimes deadlines are shorter. Sometimes things come in the way. Sometimes things are deprioritized. So that's the ideal process. In the real world, it depends. There's also like stuff that might throw a wrench. Some stuff, sometimes we don't have time for user testing. We have to launch something really quick. So that's in the real world scenario. It's no, never linear like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an amazing explanation. Yeah, thanks a lot. That's actually very clear. Sketching is just on your iPad sketching. Okay. <laughs> Matt, I yeah, I love my iPad. I really I which iPad? I use iPad Pro. Okay. Using yeah. Notability that app. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. And going away from the actual product development that you're doing and and what you do with other functions and more into tell us a little bit of difference of UX design across different industries or across different applications. So. You guys are specifically for maybe gaming or marketing applications, right? There's a lot of other companies that do SaaS products or apps, consumer apps, or iOS operating platforms. So help us walk us through how your role changes in different corporate environments and different companies. So at EA, my target demographics that I'm designing for are content creators and competitive gamers. And depending on what kind of product you're working on, your end users are different and your users have different needs and wants of the product. So that would be the main difference. Game UX is a little bit different from software design UX just because the constraints are a little bit different. And in the game, you want to make it more challenging for the users because it adds to the fun aspect of it. Mm -hmm. If you're designing for like a software product, then you want the user to basically accomplish your task in the shortest amount of time. So I feel like those are the main differences between designing for games versus software products. And then games, I feel like I've talked to a lot of my friends who worked on the studio side of EA. And my, my takeaway is that they work in different game engines. For example, in game UX, you would work on Unity or Unreal like game engines. If you work on software UX, you would work on using tools like Figma, Adobe XD, Sketch, and Wireframe, different mockups and stuff. And game UX designers, they also worked a lot with game designers I and mean, also game producers. So a lot more on the art side as well versus for me on the software side, I'm the only designer or I work with a team of designers and working directly with product. And I have not ever got a chance to work with any artists so far. Got it. And you're on software side. So what's maybe an example of a product that yeah. you make on the software side? Yeah, an example of the product they made are services such as EA Creator Network and EA Competitive Gaming and EA Event. Got it. Okay, okay. Okay, so I think let's 
touch a little bit on, before you move to Design Buddies, touch a little bit on how did you get into UX design, right? Because I know you studied computer science and bioengineering, so it's a bit different. So how did you eventually, when in college, did you switch over to UX design and did you self-study or did you go through a boot camp? And then maybe you can give some insight on how someone in a similar shoes as you before could get into UX or at least explore if that's a right career for them. Growing up, I loved drawing. I actually hated school. I hated school because I feel like <laughs> I did not like school at all because the reason why I didn't like school, I really liked the friends I made and people I met along the way, but the way you measure success in school is taking tests. And my brain cannot memorize information for my life and cannot think in the terms of test scores and stuff. So I've always, I not enjoy classes that much either. So I found myself drawing. I was really into anime, manga. So I always loved drawing. I wrote a few comic books all throughout school. And when I went to call, when I went to high school, actually, uh, my mother started paying me to go to the gym with her. And that's how I discovered I was fast. So I joined a cross country and track, but that inspired my major of bioengineering in college. The reason why I chose bioengineering is because I want to learn how to biohack myself to run faster. Uh, yeah, my dream was actually to make make um, games or doing something like creative or artistic, but I chose bioengineering because I thought hacking my own biology was also really fascinating. Okay, interesting. Anyways, after two years of studying bioengineering, I did some internships in gene therapy. And how I realized that wasn't the path for me is like I was really bored and I was looking forward to go home every day. And I was just doing the research for my resume, to be honest. And after two years, I was like, you know, I'm not really enjoying this after just just being honest with myself. After I decided to step down from research and bioengineering, I realized I want to make games. Growing up, I loved playing games. They shaped a huge part of my childhood and inspired my artwork today. So I pivoted over to computer science because I want to learn how to make my own games. Throughout that process, I watched a lot of YouTube tutorials, took some CS fundamental classes, and camped out at the virtual reality lab at my school. And I went to Santa Clara University in the Bay Area for my undergrad and grad degree. And during that helped me learn that, oh, I'm not limited to my major. Because I feel like when I came to college, I was like, oh my god, my major is life. I had to stick to it. But no, no, no. There's lots of like cool resources you can reach out online and different communities you can join to learn stuff outside of your major. And your major is not your identity. It's not your life. You don't even have to pursue your career that had this. That is the same as your major. So I did. I made a few virtual reality games. I did a few internships and in game development. One of them was I was a virtual reality robotic surgery game developer intern at Intuitive Surgicals. I developed games to train surgeons to do surgery. And it was really fun. I Most of it was spent coding in Unity in their custom surgery simulation. But I learned a lot about working with other engineers, working with researchers, working with artists to guide the art direction of my game. And I really liked it. I also made a game to gamify learning in biology called Selfie, where you become a cell in VR. Because um, I love biology. Like, I'm such a fan of biology. But working in a lab was, to me, the one I, I was basically repeating experiments over and over again. But I love cells. Like, I'm such a huge fan. Just like I'm a fan of anime. I love cells. That's like fan. Okay. <laughs> cells, like yeah. biological yeah. cells. Hypothesis, like photosynthesis, okay. cellular restoration. Okay. I love that stuff. Okay. Um, I still love that stuff today, but I just don't like the work aspect of it. Yeah. yeah and after that internship and tutor surgical, going to that end to end process of concepting to implementing a game, I realized there was something called level design and user experience design. So I decided to explore that path further. And I was an intern there, 
in 2019. I graduated from undergrad in 2019. I also, when I graduated, I didn't feel ready to adult yet. So what I did was I signed myself up for more school because I was procrastinating my adulthood. So I signed up. My GRE score was like in the lowest 10 percentile. So I was like, all right, all schools are probably going to reject me. I, so I stayed at Santa Clara, did computer science engineering for my master's degree because I did not need a GRE. At the same time, I was kind of going back and forth between doing like a PhD at human computer interaction at Stanford. That was my dream school. But, you know, my 10 percentile GRE score ain't getting me there, I think. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I'll stay here. Yeah. During my master's degree, it was rough. I thought the classes were quite rough, but I stuck with it because I didn't know what else to do because I, I wasn't like sure. Because like, I feel like growing up in the Bay Area, I, always, I felt like I always had to be doing something. So I stuck with it. Around the same time, uh, fall of 2019 is when I started teaching myself design. I wasn't really sure how to get into design, so and I didn't really want to pay for another master's degree or pay for a boot camp. So I just reached out to online resources, um, checked out YouTube channels, blog articles, joining design communities, even starting my own design community. And throughout the way, I did I joined specifically a lot of design competitions like design challenges. Adobe had a bunch of them. Joined hackathons to get that experience. Did a lot of volunteer projects. Did some freelance work. Mm. Um, and volunteered for a lot of nonprofits. And along the way, I built up my portfolio that way. And how I specifically got my job here at EA was networking. So I actually cold reached out to the director of my team on LinkedIn and happened to make get my foot in the door that way. But I also had, I didn't just reach out, but I had the work to show to prove to it. So I cold reached out on LinkedIn and made my way into EA through an internship and then later got promoted to full-time at the end of 2020. So that's a little background about how I got to design today. I feel like a lot of people's design journeys are different. Some people, they do a master's degree or undergrad degree in UX design or human-centered design or human-computer interaction. Some people go through a boot camp. Some people are self-taught. I personally am self-taught and just did a lot of projects along the way to get experience and getting all the feedback through along the way too. Let's talk about Design Buddies, okay? So this is your main project. You own this community. Um, you make money off of it, right? You, It's successful. You have partnerships with real companies from it. So what was your, you already touched a little bit on it, but what was your motivation to make it? And then was it difficult to start or pretty easy? I, I what number of people in the community did it really start picking up? Yeah, for Design Buddies, kind of backtracking a little bit, I started Design Buddies in April of 2020. During that time, I tried to learn design through joining other design communities, but I felt really intimidated. I felt like this small potato in this big, intimidating world of design. Mm -hmm. I was really afraid of asking questions because people would think I don't know anything. And I just like bunnies as well. And I felt like for my personality, I felt like other design communities, they're like too like traditionally like corporate and like too like traditionally like professional for me and i just feel like couldn't be myself so i like bunnies a lot so i made design buddies on discord how i started was i just made a random discord server and shared it on all my social media channels and a few facebook groups and that's how we got our first 1000 members in a month and then we, adobe contacted us to do an event and so after that event, we started getting a lot of other design tooling, um, design education companies to do more partnerships and collaborations with us that helped us build our name out there and, and also access more resources for our community too and keep growing from there. So these days we grow mostly from LinkedIn, word of mouth and search engine optimization. We show up on Google a lot as well. And apparently ChatGPT is recommending us. 
<laughs> so just to clarify, when you say you like bunnies, that's like the animal bunnies. Yeah. That's your logo. But the site is called Design Buddies, like a like a friend, buddies. Okay. Yeah. So just to clarify. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yes, bunnies. Yes, bunnies have been my favorite animal growing up. Okay. And I just like rabbits. Um, right. They just hop everywhere. And we get to make a lot of puns like, let's hop into it. Got and it. bunnies sound like buddies, so we're buddies, bunnies for okay, life. That's where they're... The whole branding, yeah. Got it. Okay, so you really scaled through getting that partnership with Adobe and then going from there. What were some key lessons that you learned along the way from scaling up? Just any kind of lessons. Yeah, I feel like my the main lessons I've learned came from the biggest mistakes I've made along the way. My biggest mistake I made along the way was, number one, taking on anybody who just wanted to help out. I'm really grateful for all the volunteers that have helped made design buddies the way they are today, but I kind of didn't recognize at some red flags early on. The number one red flag I saw is people only wanted to join design buddies for their resume, and they saw me as like a tool to get to their next path, and I could clearly see. Mm-hmm. And the number uh, the number two reason is think of your stereotypical Reddit mod. People who seem to need a sense of control. So I guess the number two red flag I missed was some people were simply banning people on Discord because they did not like them in high school. Mm. And this is 10 years ago, and they still had a grudge against them. And mm. I feel like people learn and grow. I, I really value open-mindedness and just giving people the benefit of the doubt. I feel like everyone's just trying their best, trying to grow. But I feel like the mods at that time were kind of trying to take control of the Discord and make it, shape it with their narrative. And I ignored those red flags or maybe I didn't really recognize those red flags. And I also was also relatively on the young side on the team as well. So I made a mistake by not speaking up early on. So I let those problems grow up. And Even though it was your own community yeah. that you started, you felt like other mods or people who were older who wanted to help and participate. Did you feel overshadowed by them in the beginning? And I did. They had really strong opinions. And I felt like a lot of imposter syndrome because I felt like a kid, essentially, because I was a student. And so I started Design Buddies when I was 22 years old. I was when I was 22 years old. And a lot of people on the mod team were in their 30s. And I felt like they had more life experience than me. So I just trusted whatever they had to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got really toxic because I would ask them why people would get banned. And they would just say, oh, I didn't like them in high school. And basically make me feel like a horrible person. These are questioning them. Yeah, these are. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'm really grateful they exist in my life because they really taught me how to recognize red flags and how to cultivate a community where people can share their opinions, even though they might be different, but listen from a place of respect and understanding instead of listening to tell other people they're wrong. And this is a a part anonymous community, but also you can reveal your identity. Correct. On Discord, people can use their real name or use their online name. Do most people use their real name in this specific community? I would say it's 50-50. Okay, got it. Yeah. And so it seems like a lot of these lessons are really people management, how to deal with different types of people, especially on an online community, right? Like that's kind of the main thing. So So how did you solve that issue with people management in the beginning? And then how has it kind of gotten better since then? Yeah, I feel like on the topic of management, uh, another mistake I made was scaling too much too soon. At one point, we had 40 people on our team and it was to the point where we had too many cooks in the kitchen. No decisions were ever made. Things are being so slow. So now we have five people. But how I got to that point was realizing that I can't handle everything myself 
And that's how I decided to delegate more or giving people like more opportunities to build their resume, getting experience with design buddies too, and going in that direction. But I took that on too much and I scaled too much too soon. So it created a lot of like drama internally a little bit because some people, sometimes people have really strong opinions, they're really passionate about something, and they really have a strong sense of wanting everyone else to believe what they say or align with them in their opinions. And I feel like, yeah, I should have spoke up and addressed the problem early on, uh, but I didn't. But now I know like I should in the beginning. And I feel like when scaling a team, everyone you add should be intentional. There should be a need and it should align with their interests as well. And also trusting them and trusting them to basically take ownership of their pillar, ownership of what their responsibilities are instead of micromanaging and telling them everything to do and have, helping them share their opinions as well. Okay, Because at the end of the day, I don't want myself to be the only one growing design buddies. I want design buddies to help everyone involved in it as well and to support them in their life goals too. It's like also really fun to learn from other perspectives, other life opinions and growing together, just sharing knowledge, kind of like pivoting our team to just learning together, creating cool things together, instead of trying to prove that somebody is right in each scenario. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, so what I want to ask next is maybe to help give a compare and contrast or give some example of you managing design buddies and the people there versus, and because we're all in our mid-20s or even late-20s is in the corporate world. So I want to compare and contrast that versus the corporate world when people in consulting or even industry roles start managing in their mid-20s or late-20s. It's typically from a place of you were in that junior position and you did a certain role and had certain responsibilities. When you become a more senior role and you manage those junior or right out of undergrad people, you essentially are telling them to do the same things that you did or you were told to do. So it's very maybe a linear management style here. And it, it's from a place of that you had the exact previous experience. But what I want to hear from you is like one example of you can manage people when you didn't have any experience in that area before. Yeah. I feel like another lesson I learned from Design Buddies is trying to also find people that are more experienced than you are so you can learn from them and help them lead in their expertise as well. Because at work, it's kind of different from work just because at work, you're typically managing people who are less experienced than you are and kind of mentoring them along the way. Okay. But in my experience, building my own thing, it really helped to have an outside perspective, but also making sure that these people have the same like mission and vision as what I intend design buddies to be and making sure the intention is aligned out there as well. In the work environment, it's kind of different just because you're working for someone else and design buddies is kind of my own thing. And so there's less roadmap and less clarity. For me, design buddies, the ultimate goal that I hope design buddies can make the most impact in is helping designers land jobs. To land jobs, you want to keep providing resources, keep connecting with hiring managers, keep helping designers get hired. So anything in for us in our roadmap is like anything that helps us in that goal is there. In the work environment, it's definitely a lot more structures. You have quarterly planning, monthly planning, yeah. um, and everything has to be very clearly documented and planned. Versus design buddies, as long as it meets those goals, it's all good for now. Things might change in the long term, but I'm also figuring it out just like mm -hmm. all of y'all listeners are. So I'm just vibing here. So anything with our goals has to, it's just as long as it works and people are having fun, it's fun to do, we do it. 
Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Like you're, it's, it's a little more ambiguous than managing in a work environment, but you have your certain goals. And if that's the vision that you're driving towards, it's a little bit clearer and to help you manage people or bring other people in. Yeah. Yeah, For me for now, I might get more detailed in the long term, but that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. Okay. That, that's cool. That's cool to hear. For our last topic, I want to talk high level on, so you have not just design buddies and your full-time job, but you also like posting on your food Instagram and TikTok. You like posting your running, active videos, traveling, things like that. What inspired you to just generate broad lifestyle content? Obviously out there, there's a ton of people that do that. There's a ton of people that also don't do that, but what inspired you to do that? And how do you, how do you keep just putting content out there? Like how do you physically do that on a day-to-day basis? especially balancing everything else that you're doing? I started creating content for fun back in high school. I think I was I was 16 years old in high school. I guess two motivations why I started. I started with a Tumblr blog, a Tumblr lifestyle blog called I Run Grace Pace. It's still out there. It's kind of cringe, um, but I plan to leave it on because I think it's fun to look at. But why I created was, number one, I sucked at writing. My language or skills were trash, so I wanted to practice writing. And number two is... Since I was actually bullied a lot in middle school and also in high school, um, I didn't really have that many friends in school, so I wanted to meet online friends. Mm-hmm. So those two reasons are why I started and what was going on in my life at that time was I was really into running, I was really into like that high, healthy lifestyle aspect, baldness, and drawing as well. So I started with that. And then um, my Tumblr kind of blew up. I think it got like 10,000 followers within oh. a year, and I was this high school kid doing yeah. sponsorships. Along the, after that, I started like an Instagram. I started a couple of Instagrams. My I run Grace Pace and my Graceful Food Instagram, where I make food art. Um, I also post about my life and running. And I started doing like brand sponsorships in high school, but because I was a minor at that time, I couldn't get paid. But that's how I got my first taste of like working with brands. And then in college, I was in that crazy pre med grind, so I stopped creating that much content for almost four years. Uh, completely put that aside, and then. Just kind of pause. I, along the way, I also drew a lot as well. So I had like an art Instagram too, but I stopped posting on that for like almost three years. And that made me lose thousands of followers because I wasn't posting anything. Um, Cause I was stressed out about school and grinded pre-med. And then when I graduated college in 2020, I discovered LinkedIn. LinkedIn is, is very fun. I would say LinkedIn's my favorite social media platform just because I meet the coolest people on there. Mm-hmm. So during the pandemic, I noticed people were being a little bit more vulnerable on LinkedIn, sharing more about their life. And so I always thought LinkedIn prior to that was this like super professional where people just announce their successes on the platform. And I realized, oh, wow, I see some more like lifestyle content. So I started sharing more about my experiences, my artwork, and my LinkedIn blew up as well. I think LinkedIn, I have like almost 23 or 24,000 followers within a few years as well, um, just by sharing about myself and like anything remotely had to do with career development, I'll share there. So I really like LinkedIn. I also recently got into TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram Reels too, just because I really love like learning new skills like video editing, mm-hmm. filming, creating content. And so I did that to help improve my skills in that and like communication and also expressing myself and being able to articulate myself better in more concise ways through content creation. And another reason why I create content is I get a lot of questions about career on LinkedIn. So it helps me scale myself while practicing my skills, but also helps other people too. So 
it's been really fun. And these days I create a lot of content about career, day in my life in tech. Yeah, those stereotypical day in my life tech vlogs, <laughs> they're really fun to do. Also like UX design career stuff, continuing to share about my running life journey. And also recently trying to get Yelpoli. And I also like to try out a lot of local new restaurants with my friends. So I also like creating content about that on like TikTok and Instagram. And also supporting local businesses too and just filming their cool food photos. So a little bit of everything. So I know other maybe people who post content constantly think about and try to do things for their content. Do you think like that or how do you get so much volume of content? Do you have to think like that or do you have to plan what, what you're trying to do in the future for, for what you want to post? Or how, how much is it planned or spontaneous and, and you're just kind of going through your life? For me... As long as I'm having fun, I'll do it. And yeah. if I'm like planning too hard, I get stressed out and that becomes not fun. Yeah. So I just try to live life and try to document. I think of it as like documenting my life and piecing it together based on what story I want to tell with it. So I try not to go into mindset like, oh, I have to like capture this. Otherwise, it's not worth it. But I just try to enjoy life, live yeah. in a moment and document it and then take care of it after. So that, that keeps it fun for me and that's how I can sustain and do it long term and create so much content. In such a short time too. Okay. And one more question. How do you maybe overcome trying to put the perfect content out there? Oh, it was actually really hard for me. I, w I felt so nervous putting myself out there. But then I realized I got nothing to lose. If people think I'm weird, that's cool. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything with that information. But that's cool that they're <laughs> voicing their opinions to me. Yeah. So I just kind of live life like that. Like, I don't care what people think. I just want to create value, make cool things, do, do cool things and talk about it. And so I feel like that was the, the root of why I felt that way. So once I let that go, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just do it. And also I feel like with perfectionism, perfectionism, I don't think it exists. So I just keep going and just keep launching because I feel like life is iterative. I have to do it to keep improving. And so I want to keep improving. So I just keep seeing what's out there and just treat trying and collecting data and iterating from that. Same goes with design, too. So I feel like it's like very similar to UX design. Yeah. OK, that's really cool to hear that. So one last question to wrap up the whole podcast. Where do you see yourself, your career, your side hustles in, let's say, the next five years, which is a medium term, and then potentially longer term after that? Like, yeah. Where do you see yourself? I feel like my overall goal is just keep improving. As long as I'm like having fun, I feel like I'm making progress. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. And I like to focus more on the process and the outcome. But to give a few outcome pointers, I definitely want to retire early. Retiring meaning that I'm not... I'm not bound to an employer. I'm free to work on any projects I want to. It doesn't mean I'll stop working, but it means I have the freedom to do anything I want at any time of the day. So long term, I hope to retire by like 35, 40. And short term, I want to keep improving my skills that will take me there. And I also really want to run a marathon or no, maybe not a marathon, but like run a race in every single country. So I want to visit every single country. What about for design buddies? Do you think you're going to do that forever? Do you think you're going to kind of hand it off to somebody at some point? I don't know if I'll be doing Design Buddies forever, but right now I'm really enjoying it. But ultimately, I want to live on forever and I can't have that just be bound by me. Right. I want it to last like the next 200, 1000 years. So, <laughs> you know, gotta. that's why like I feel like the importance of having a great team also helps scale Design Buddies too. Yeah, you have to live long to be a part of it. Exactly. This is an amazing episode, Grace. This was awesome advice. It was great to hear about not just how you got into UX, but founding Design Buddies and the motivations behind putting out content for your lifestyle videos and everything. So 
do you want to go ahead and plug your social media handles and I'll put it in the show notes as well for listeners who want to follow. Yeah, for sure. Feel free to follow me on any of I'm on like basically all the platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, also Design Race on Discord. If yep. you're into design, interest in design or want to share this resource with your design friends, feel free to hop in in our Discord as well. Okay, great. So I'll put all that in the show notes and thanks everyone for listening here. So as always, you feel free to give any feedback or topic suggestions at careerchangingin your20s at gmail.com. Cheers, everyone. Happy listening. Mm-hmm.